Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the How to Become a Personal Trainer podcast. We're your host, Mike Vacanti. My name is Jordan Syatt. And this episode, we break down the first few parts of what it means to be a great coach, how to become a great personal trainer. We made it sort of a pyramid like we did with the fat loss and muscle gain pyramids. But before we got into the pyramid, we spent the first 20 to 25 minutes of this podcast talking about stuff completely unrelated to it. Right. So if you just want to jump straight to the beginning of the pyramid, you can jump to about 20, 25 minutes in, you'll get right into it. But at the beginning, we talk a lot about Mike's new sleep schedule, my experience in therapy, um, how men talk to each other and some of the issues and potential issues as a result of not going deep enough into being vulnerable and whatnot. So uh, there's a lot to this episode. Did you like it, Mike? I love the episode. Yeah, it was good. So we hope you enjoy it. This is just part one. Part two to finish the pyramid will be next week. I hope you enjoy it, and I'm going to stop talking because this intro is pretty bad. All right, let's get into the episode. Enjoy. <laughs> Hello, Jordan. What's going on, Michael? Not much. It's 12.40. I haven't been awake for that long. Feeling pretty good. 12.40 your time, One forty my time. Wait, so, so talk to me about this new sleep schedule. How's it going? It's, it's extremely degenerate and it's, and it's going really well. Why is it degenerate? Because it's been 12 years since I went to bed at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning and slept in until 11 AM. But you're being productive, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel great. So wait, so why did you make this schedule change? Like what was the, (laughs) what was like the reasoning behind, all right, I need to stay up super late and, and then sleep late. I, I kind of stumbled upon it by accident. Uh, I had a day where I was supposed to work out um, and just, oh, it was the day I drove to the gym and then drove oh. home. And I told you about it and you were dying laughing. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> like, I was I like how's your parking lot. It's <laughs> like, I didn't go. I, I sat in the parking lot for five minutes and then I went to the holiday gas station and I was going to get protein and a banana thinking like I was just a little hungry. But I got protein and a box of 12 uh, oatmeal cream pie cookies. <laughs> and then I drove home and ate a bunch of cookies and, you know, laid around, did some computer work, but just didn't work out. And that was probably 10 a.m. And five o'clock rolled around and I was like, I should really train. Like, it's the right thing to do. I have no good reason not to. And so I I had a, an energy drink and I haven't had caffeine past noon and I don't even know how long. Uh, but had an energy drink, went and had an amazing workout in the evening, and then was up really late from the caffeine, you know, doing work, replying to client emails, like felt really good. Everyone here was asleep, so I had the house to myself, and uh, it was very peaceful and productive and uninterrupted, and it reminded me of kind of college. I would work out in the evening a lot of the time, and then I was on that go-to-bed-late-wake-up-late-sleep schedule. Yeah. And so then I just continued it for the rest of the week. And today's day four and it's going well. Yeah, it's going well. So like at night, you're just, the majority of your work gets done like nighttime, like emails, programs, that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It has been. And you know, I'll do a little right when I wake up, but yeah, after my workout, like I, I don't, it's a, it's a weird and new and unique feeling 
just because I haven't done it in so long and I have the luxury to be able to really set whatever schedule I want. And I think part of me was against it just because of the sleep research I have read and how suboptimal this is to <laughs> to be so disaligned with the sun, basically, the rise and fall of the sun. But um, yeah, it reminded me of of like childhood, really, or like being younger and just not really caring for what's optimal and doing what felt right. And, you know, I'm still getting everything done. It's just shifted. That's perfect. And you're still getting eight hours? At least. Yeah, probably nine. I'm I'm training hard. Like last night, I had the, the hardest leg day I've had in seven years. Seriously? Yeah. What'd you do? Uh, a bunch of triples, deadlifting. You did. You worked up to heavy triples on the deadlift? Uh-huh. Dude, and then, uh, that's awesome. And then offloaded Bulgarian split squats for three by eight, uh, four by eight goblet squats, and a bunch of reverse hypers to finish. Hell yeah. That's a great lower body day. Yeah. It's like you were saying the other day, it's just schedule confusion, right? <laughs> schedule confusion. <laughs> Exactly. Keep the productivity gains going. Muscle confusion, but just do it with your schedule. There, a lot of it, though, isn't like it isn't around optimizing anything other than it, it's fun to have evening workouts. It's a different feeling. I haven't done it in so long. It's enjoyable. But part of it, too, is is the the playfulness aspect of it. And this kind of transitions into something else that we wanted to talk about. But it's it just seemed fun to me. Like last night after my workout, I picked up my phone and started vlogging. Did you just really? Because it, yeah. And who knows? Like I didn't actually, it was just a little clip, but it was the first time in so long that I genuinely was doing something not out of a place of obligation, but out of a place of, of excitement and enjoyment. Yeah. Uh, on, on that side of things. I actually think that's a lot of what this podcast is, but yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it's been good. That's awesome. Wow, I did not expect to hear you say that. How how long after you wake up are your workouts now? So like you wake up around around what, like 10, 11, and your workouts are in the early evening? That's how it has been. I feel like a 4 p.m. workout will will be a little better. Um, you know, the the gym's pretty busy actually in that five to seven range. Yeah, yeah. So So I... I feel like either getting in before that or waiting until after that dies down, uh, either of those makes sense. But on the amount of food I'm on too, um, you know, around maintenance calories, like I don't have to time my workout in a, in a time in the day where I need peak alertness and awakeness and time my caffeine and, and everything like that. Because, you know, when you're not in a deficit, you can get away with having more energy at various parts of the day. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. Yeah. That five to seven time range in the gym packed. I haven't been in a gym like that. And maybe since college, just, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I could work out in the mid morning time frame when no one's there. Are, are, yeah. 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 Those, those eight to 9 PM workouts though, those can be fun because the gym's empty. It's like, intense like high if you're not feeling and that's one of the, maybe one of the benefits of this sleep schedule where it's like you're not tired by 8 to 9 p.m by 8 to 9 p.m it's like peak energy so you're feeling really good and nobody's there that's exactly right and then went the like you know spotify breaking benjamin radio and just <laughs> let it go into like 
whatever angry rock I could find. Yeah, yeah. And it, it just, yeah, it was really fun. That's awesome. That's great. I have been, I have been not sleeping like that. My sleep's been great. My sleep's been the best it's been in years just because I'm going to bed by 10, 1030 every night and uh, waking up at, depending on the day, usually wake up either between 630 or 7. That's awesome. And then, and then jujitsu. Man, after jujitsu, I need like two to four hours to like recover. Like I just take two to four hours just to like relax and then I can do work. I can't do work immediately after training at all. Well, it's like completely it's so out exhausting. of it. Yeah. It is absolutely draining. You know, like those workouts that you just finish the workout and you're just like, comp- like body, mind, spirit, just gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and it feels great. Like you're so glad you did it, but it's like, you can't fit, like you get back, like you, you're in the shower and you just like let the water hit you, like the hot water. On, like you don't even have the energy to put like the soap on you. You just like stand there. <laughs> like, you know, like after a terrible, like after a really good shoulder day, like your shoulders are so like, they're so hard to raise your arms up to even put like the soap on your head. It's like, that's for me with jujitsu at the, I just sit in the shower. I'm like, oh my God, I just need like two to four hours just to relax before I actually start being productive again. That's awesome. Yeah. Feeling good. When, when you talk about like 10, 10, 30, going to bed was it hard to like i know in the past you've kind of set all right i'm gonna try and go to bed by this time or like i'm gonna try to like put my phone down by this time so that i can go to bed what's that transition been like it actually that never helped me oh really it never helped me to say i want it. it what helped me was doing something really early in the morning that i was excited about Mm. which was jujitsu. It mm-hmm. was like just having that like general rule of, okay, I must put my phone away by this time. That wasn't enough motivation or enough of an incentive for me to actually li- put my phone away. I would still stay up super late. And it wasn't until I scheduled something really early the following morning that I was very excited about that I naturally put my phone away, which Got is, it. it's an interesting thing where it's like, you could have a rule just because you know, it's the right thing to do, or you could strategically set up your day in a way that you follow the rules because it's actually better for you. It's what you want right? to be doing. Yeah. It's like the idea of staying up late and then going to jujitsu exhausted the next day is at this point, it's, it's not acceptable. Like it's, I, it, sounds terrible in every way, shape and form. And there's no way I'm skipping jujitsu. So it's like, all right, so what do I, what has to happen for me to make sure that I can get up feeling really good to go into jujitsu? Easy decision. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And it's been, it's, it's cool to think about it in that way where it's like, I think about what, why do people make certain decisions? And, and it's actually, if you look at the research around why people make decisions, Generally speaking, you'll see a lot of times people will make a decision to avoid a negative outcome rather than get a positive outcome. So for example, Mm. people will make a certain decision when it's like, would you rather not be homeless or would you rather try to be rich? And a lot of times like the not being homeless is more of an incentive for people to work harder than it is like to make more money, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So for me in this example, it'd be like, I'm trying to avoid going to jujitsu and getting my ass whooped Uh versus like just going to bed because I know it'll be better for me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what's Mm -hmm. going on. And so like for me, you could apply this across any scenario where it's like you schedule something really important early in the morning to make sure that you do what you need to do that night so that you go to bed and get enough sleep. 
yeah, you don't want to have to look your coach in the eye and say, hey, man, I didn't get a lot of sleep. Can we take it easy today? Oh, my God. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. not. And I don't want to go in and lie and say, oh, I feel great. And, and then, then have crushed. a terrible training session, just get wiped across the floor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, you're like, what's going on? Like, so, yeah, yeah it, it's, it is really a lot about avoiding that negative outcome based on something that I really, really want to do. So, yeah, I've been feeling good, man. Jiu-Jitsu is going super well. Tell me about the, the two to four hour window. This is something that uh, I think people might be able to relate to and might even benefit from hearing your perspective on do you feel any guilt about not working like a two to four hour window is it's not chump change it's real time and to be able to let yourself relax and recover and not work um is there any guilt is there like a sense of obligation is that something you've thought about yeah so i mean so i've been talking with my therapist about this recently and uh I was talking to him specifically about it because there was a huge amount of guilt. I was like, man, I am not working nearly as much as I'm used to at all. Like there's these huge gaps in the day where I'm not working. And I told him, I'm like, I'm just, dude, I'm playing video games. I was like, dude, I'm like going on my phone and I'm like playing NHL and I'm playing like baseball and I'm playing these video games. And, and he looked at me and, and he laughed. He was like, basically he said like, I love that. He's like, the key word here is you're playing. He's like, I love the fact that you're playing. He's like, a lot of times it's lost on adults, this idea of playing. It's really important for adults to find playtime in their life too. And the example, he was really good about it. He, he, he was like, he brought it back to fitness. He goes, I would imagine that if you worked the same muscle in the gym every single day for weeks and months and years on end, it would probably be more harmful than beneficial if you trained one muscle over and over and over again to failure nonstop. And I was like, yeah, it'd probably not be a really good idea at all. He's like, well, that's basically what you did with your business. It's like for a decade, every day, for weeks and months and literally years, that was the one muscle that you trained over and over and over and over again. And, you know, you let your health go, you let your sleep go, you let different relationships go. He's like, now you're working different muscles. And it's like, it's okay to, you're basically taking like a deload from, from one thing. So you can sort mm-hmm. of rest the other thing and then build up other things. And so uh, that's helped me with that guilt where it's like, when I feel like I should be working or I should be making social media posts or I should be doing whatever. It's like, all right, like I'm working different muscles and, and it's, it's been great as a way to eliminate that guilt and actually help me like, what's the point of playing if you're not even going to enjoy it. Right. Yeah. What's the point of like sitting down and, and playing a game. If like the whole time you're playing the game, you just feel like an ass because you're not doing something else. It's like, if you're going to play, you might as well play and enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that concept of don't be in the middle. Like when you're working work and when you're relaxing, relax. Yeah. You texted me that quote. I don't even remember what the quote was the other day. If you want to read that, it was super good and insightful. It was related to this. It was from a random Twitter account. Um, Work while you're working, play while you're playing. Dissonance and an inability to be within the present moment is the root of all anxiety. Man, on point. It's so true because if you're... It's, it's the same, it's like the, the stress relaxation 
cycle, right? If we want to bring it back to fitness, the the stimulus and the response, it's, um, you know, having, we can rope it into anti-fragile as well, the book. Uh, Basically, the low level of chronic stress is is like the bad kind of stress that we hear people talk about. Stress is a good thing, right? Doing a set of heavy deadlifts is a good thing, but having like a, a very low level and and whether it's, um, you know, d- distraction of consuming something you don't want to be consuming on your phone, uh, whether it's the the anxiety of of knowing that you need to be doing something that you're not doing in that moment, um, or, or just having, you know, little tasks hanging over your head that you haven't taken care of. That is the, the, like in the middle sense, right? If you're, if you want to use work and relaxation as the, the two opposites, as the two poles, it's like spend however much time you need to be working, working, but while you're doing it, go hard at it. And then when you're relaxing, fully relax. And that's the, that's where like pure enjoyment, real play, not having any guilt, not having anything like that's what makes the play, uh, rejuvenating, reinvigorating. It makes it beneficial. It makes it enjoyable because then you're going to be ready to go again when it's time to go again. Whereas if you spend those few hours, like, uh, beating yourself up mentally, then when it's time to start working, you're, you're coming back at like 60% instead of coming back at a hundred percent. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, another thing my therapist was talking about, which I just think is like, it, it was very insightful and really true. He's like, one of the easiest ways to, or one of the best ways to help you do this is to stop trying to f- stop feeling bad about the way you feel. So sort of accept it for what it is, right? So if if you're playing, whether it's playing a video game or just playing with your kids, whatever you're playing, and the whole time you're playing, you're feeling bad that you're not doing something else then you're going to feel bad that you feel bad. And then you're not, you're like, it's just going to compound itself. And so it turns into this perpetual cycle of feeling bad about something that you're not doing anyway. So he's like, instead of being mad at yourself that you feel bad about it, just accept it. Like, cool. Like understand that that's how you feel mm-hmm. and then move on from it. Mm. Versus when you create this resistance to it. And then like, it's sort of like with, with food guilt where it's like, um, if you, or if you tell someone like, you should just love your body, right? You should love your body. But then that person doesn't love their body. Now they're going to be mad because they don't love their body. And they're going to be even more mad because they're mad that they don't love their body, right? It's like you have to accept it as is before you can then move on and progress with it, before you can actually be present with it. Yeah, great example. I love Monday mornings because it's a time for me when I jump on the phone with you and then usually there's a concept that you and I have kicked around for the last few years and come up with our, uh, you know, Gary would call it like you dopes, like coming up <laughs> with your theories around things. <laughs> but then it's almost like, oh, you know, this thing that we, you and I have been talking about for two years. Well, we just got a little professional insight on it. And then like, here's this. And I'm like, man, your therapist <laughs> is so smart, dude. Like, <laughs> man, I've only been doing it for a month now and I'm super excited about it. Like it's been great. It's just been a great sounding board. And, uh, it's funny, like a lot of the times I can, I can see how, like he just, he just wants me to talk. That's literally like 90% of it is just getting me to talk. Mm-hmm. And I can feel there's a resistance on my end. Like, especially I was like, I would sort of like 
not consciously, it was, it was partially consciously, but I'd feel this like, I was like, I just sit there and, and there'd be this awkward silence, but he'd just sit there and smile <laughs> and just wait. And he just wouldn't say a word. And I would like feel the tension building up and I'd be like, all right. And he'd be like, cool. <laughs> but it's just like getting me to talk and just, just, just spill. And I don't know if this is like a, a human thing. I know if you look in the research generally, like men have a harder time sharing and opening up. And I don't know if it's like that side of things or if it's just a human thing where it's just difficult to share overall. But like over the month, I've gotten better at just opening up and just talking. And just like, what, and like he would prompt me to be like, so what's on your mind? And like, talk about that, whatever it is. And like, now it's just like, all right, just talk. Because I think especially as a coach, so much of what we do is listen. So often, I think it can be like, I want sometimes to try and get him to talk, but it's like the wrong way about it. It's like, all right, just talk, just talk, just talk, let it come out. Yeah. It's, it's not, the, it's the time for the opposite to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good, man. Everything's going well. Yeah. We, uh, th- that, and we'll transition into, into the episode here, which is the pyramid of what makes a great coach or what makes a good coach. Um, but th- that like, you know, whether it is with someone professionally or in general, I feel like our society is lacking, uh, for whatever reason, we've trended away from men having conversations with other men. Mm. And, and, you know, you said maybe men are more likely or more hesitant to withhold feelings or to not talk about themselves. Um, Doing so in the presence of other dudes is important and beneficial. And, you know, something that you and I have done together which has has been super helpful for me, but just in general, and even like, you know, the conversations you and I have had with Rico as well, hanging out the three of us, like they're, they're different than a lot of what uh, my experience with groups of guys are. Um, And uh, yeah. Yeah. For any, for anyone listening, like it's, it's something to, to think about. It's interesting though, because like the conversations you and I have, or you, you Rico and I, it's one of those things that when we're done with the conversation, we're always like, man, like that felt great. Like that was a great conversation. Mm -hmm. It's like something we've been, we've been missing, like we've needed, but it doesn't happen usually in, in groups of dudes. Yeah. It just, yeah. It's not a usual type of conversation. And I I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just based on, I don't know. I don't know what it could be, but I think a lot of it has to do with a lack of community in some sense, right? Where Mm. it's like, I think Mm -hmm. when you aren't regularly getting together in an environment that is specifically geared towards discussion, then generally speaking, the discussion is going to be more superficial. The discussion is going to be more, whatever you want to imagine in terms of superficial discussion. But when you have like a a sit down conversation where you're having coffee, whatever it is, and you, you can just talk. And mm-hmm. chat and you talk about what's going on in the world and society, culture, religion, politics, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't think a lot, I don't think that happens, especially right now, especially with everything going on right now. It's just, I don't think there's very much dialogue around that when you're sitting down with people in person. Yeah, that's a great point. 
having having it be based around a certain set of values and consistently occurring, reoccurring conversation allows you to go there. Yeah. Interesting. Should we jump in to the pyramid? Let's dive in. How to be a good coach pyramid. How to be a good coach. Jordan with that SEO podcast intuitive <laughs> knowledge. <clears throat> okay. So we have we have five things here starting at the base of the pyramid. And oh, this is similar to I'm gonna, our- I'm going to interject real quick. You just said something that- Yep. Maybe we could talk another episode about, I keep getting this question about intuitive eating, my thoughts on intuitive eating. And I gave a brief overview of my thoughts on my story the other day, but if you want us to, to do something on intuitive eating and, and different styles of eating, intuitive eating, calorie counting, macros, whatever, um, either leave a comment on iTunes or, or DM us on Instagram and let us know if that's something that you'd like. But, uh, I've been getting a lot of questions from people for my thoughts on intuitive eating and how to practice it and if it should be practiced. So it might be, it might be an option later. Cool. All right. We got, we got five things on this pyramid, starting with the most important and then building our way up to the least, but also important, similar to the the fat loss and muscle gain pyramids that we did in previous episodes. So at the very base of the pyramid, we have ethics and integrity. And, and we'll start with this. We'll, we'll just briefly preface by saying, if you listen to the fat loss or muscle gain pyramids, you know, like we got pretty intricate and in-depth with them. This one is going to be a little bit more general, just slightly more overarching. So there's only five different pieces in this as opposed to the other ones, which I think had closer to eight to 12 different ones. Mm -hmm. So there's many different ways we could go with this, but we have the five big building blocks of this pyramid and, and the base of this one. And by the way, before we started the podcast, we had a big discussion about it. And then we sort of went back and forth about, should this be the base? Should this not be the base? Um, we think ethics and morals and we'll talk about it like more in depth. We think that is the base of being a good coach because no matter how much knowledge you get, no matter how much practical experience you get, no matter how much, no matter how good of a coach you become, ethics and morals are always at the base of your decision making. Always. And Mike even said, all right, so maybe, because I was like, should that be the base? And, and Mike was like, yeah, I think it should be the base. And we spoke about it. And then I was like, yeah, it definitely should be the base because of that. But then Mike was like, maybe it should just run up the side of the pyramid. However you want to structure it, it doesn't matter. The, the reality is no matter how good you get, whether it's your first day as a coach or your 10,000th day as a coach, the, the, ba the ethics and morals are always, always there, whether you're conscious of them or not. And that might be why they're so important. Because it's like, it's, it's the heart of everything. Every decision you make, not just as a coach, but as a human, these are the base, they're the ground of it all, the groundwork of everything. So if, if regardless of where you are in your coaching career, this has to be the base of it in the same way that consistency is the base of, of working out and nutrition, because it's, it's always going to be there. And it's always the foundation of your decisions and choices. Very well said. We can go into a few examples. I, I mentioned that I literally got a, a new coaching application last night from a woman who at the bottom of her application said, and, and by the way, I have to ask this and, um, you know, whatever the answer is, I respect you and, and, you know, but 
am I actually dealing with you or am I dealing with someone else on your team as quote unquote you? And I replied to her, I was like, look, I think I I made a joke of it. I was like, I I wish I had a team, but it's literally just me. Like I'm the only person over here. So that's who you're getting. And, uh, and you know, we, Jordan and I went back and forth on this. Like you could technically have in in most coaches I know who have assistant coaches, um, like Susan would be an example, but even like, I think Carter has assistant coaches now, like they do it the right way. They do it like when you sign up for their coaching, you're working with X assistant coach. Um, but even if you were to go what we would call the unethical or like the deceitful way, um, that person could be legit. They could know their stuff. They could be pretending to be another coach and they could be doing a good job of it. Uh, but it's still, it's still wrong. It's still, um, yeah, I I don't even know that more needs to be said on that specific subject. Like that's, that's a pretty straightforward one to me. Cookie cutter programming is another one where, you know, tell, tell the client what they're going to get. Don't charge them 300 bucks a month and everyone gets literally the exact same program. The The first thing in their assessment is, you know, I, I just had this injury, so I can't squat. And then you have them five by five squatting on their first workout. <laughs> like it, that's another example of, you know, having a, a reasonable moral compass as at the base of your decision making is necessary for everything else to go well and for you to be a good coach yeah i mean there there are so many routes we could go with this we could go like not cookie cutter programming not like pretending people are working with you when they're really working with an assistant coach we could talk about selling supplements that you know don't work just so that you can make a, a quick buck either on an affiliate code or whatever it is um we could even go down the route and and I just bring this up because I've seen ads a lot recently for, for a quote unquote, like mastermind guru selling, telling coaches how to sell high ticket coaching. And, and I hate that term high ticket coaching. It's like, what the fuck do you think this is? Like, this is your personal training. Like you're, (laughs) this is like your personal trainer. Like, except, except many of many never were. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Like, it's, I see, like, I, I had a girlfriend many, many years ago. Um, I just got engaged by the way. So that's exciting. But I had a girlfriend. Have we not talked about that on the podcast? No, 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 we didn't. Congratulations, Jordan. Thank you, bro. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I had a girlfriend many, many years ago, uh, and she would never tell her family what I did, which was personal training. Cause like she was embarrassed and she thought like, not that she was embarrassed, but yeah, I guess she was that, and that her family wouldn't take that seriously that, Oh, you're just a personal trainer. So she would say like, yeah, Jordan runs his own business, which I did. And a lot of it was online at that point, but I'd be like, no, no, I'm a personal trainer. And I'd say that to her grandparents and all that stuff. And she'd get so mad. She'd be like, stop saying that. I'd be like, it's what I am. I'm a personal trainer. It's like, I'm very proud of what I do. I'm a personal trainer and I love it. I love helping people. I love that. It's like, I, I don't need, uh, I don't need to, like, I hate when someone calls me an entrepreneur. It's like, I'm not an entrepreneur. I have one business. Like, 
I, I, I'm a personal trainer. That's it. Like Gary's an entrepreneur. People who own multiple businesses and they start from ground zero, build them up, sell them. That's an entrepreneur. If you're an online personal trainer, you're not a fucking entrepreneur. You're not. Like, I'm sorry. And th- I think it's actually detrimental to fall into the, the mindset of like, oh yeah, you're an entrepreneur. Like you're not. You're a personal trainer and take pride in that. It's like selling like high ticket coaching as a personal trainer. It's like, what what are you doing? Like, yeah. did you get into this so that you could be a high ticket salesman? Like what it like, stop. So I think, and this is one of those things that I think it's hard to articulate and put into, put into words about, you know, ethics and morals. You could say that they're, they're subjective and to a point I think they are, but I think really your gut instinct is going to lead you in the right direction. And if it feels wrong, if it feels weird, listen to that. Like I, I see some people selling high ticket coaching and they're bragging about how much they're getting people to pay for a month or two months or three months of coaching. Like they're literally talking like, oh yeah, I charge like $3,000 a month or $5,000 a month. I'm like, that's disgusting. Like, I mean, congratulations on the sale if you like, but yeah, it, that it doesn't make you a better coach. And like the name of this podcast is how to become a personal trainer. Like this isn't how to become a millionaire. This isn't how to scam people into paying you for more, for paying you more money for coaching. This is how to be a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's like, and, and you should, if you don't take pride in being a coach, then you're listening to the wrong podcast. And if you don't take pride in helping people for what you do, then it's like, you're probably in the wrong industry. Just, you should be, you should be doing something else. So big tangent, obviously, but the reality is it's like, I I think usually your gut instinct is the right instinct. And if it feels weird, like if, if a company offers you an affiliate code for a product you've never used, I'm assuming your gut's going to be like, ah, maybe I shouldn't do this. If you have a CBD company reaching out and you've never used CBD and like, or you don't think it works, but you're still telling people to swipe up for your code, like probably not a good idea. If, if you're giving every single client the exact same program and it feels weird because like, you know, that it should be more individualized, you're probably not doing the right thing. It's like your gut instinct is going to point you in the right direction. And listen, we all make mistakes. I'll be my hand and raise my hand and say, I've made many, many mistakes in my life, both in fitness and out of fitness. Uh, but it, it doesn't change the fact that you can always continue to, to try to point your, follow the North star, follow the right path and go down the right way. And it doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes. You will obviously, but keep trying to listen to the gut and, and follow, do, do what's right. Because the reality is you usually do know what's right. Very well said. Moving up to, and we could honestly hammer that for another 20 minutes and part of me wants to, but yeah, in the I, interest of time, <laughs> Well, I can't imagine people signing up because I know the exact ad you're talking about. I don't know the guy's name and I don't know who he is and I have no problem describing it. He's wearing a pink robe and like walking through like whatever. I can't imagine anyone who's actually a coach signing up for that. Yeah. Like I, like I can't imagine a single coach signing up for that. I can imagine someone who might be between jobs, not sure what they want to be doing with their life, uh, sees an opportunity to make money through fitness, gets that ad, and then is like, oh, you know, I can five clients, 5K each a month, like 25,000. Cool. Like I'll be a personal trainer. Like that's that's who I see going that route. And maybe I'm being a little naive or, or not understanding human behavior well enough, but I can't see anyone who's actually a coach 
forking over a single dollar for something like that. And like you said, everyone makes mistakes. You've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. Like if you have signed up for something like that, obviously, whatever. But um, <laughs> it's more the 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 fact that that people try to sell in that way that blows my mind. I had a client many years ago who who once like after coaching was over and he I I think he was a Gary fan and you know whatever everyone has their own perspective but he said something along the lines of like dude your business would do a lot better if you like like 10x your prices. <laughs> this is a guy who just paid me 350 a month for like 8 months of coaching. I was like you know, I was nice. I was like, oh, cool idea. Like, thanks. And and then he pressed me on it. And he's like, no, like you should 10X your prices. I was like, I, no, I don't want to 10X my prices. Like it, it back to gut feeling and intuition, it doesn't feel right to charge someone for fitness coaching that amount of money. Yeah. And so that's just one example under the umbrella of, of ethics. I remember that I raised my price. I, you know, Anytime you raise your prices, there's going to be a feeling of uncertainty and and fear and worry. Will they buy it? Like, is am I worth this much? All, like, that's normal. And sometimes you have to cross the line in order to know you cross the line, right? So I think that's part of of life, but also owning a business. And I remember when I when I first when I first charged someone money, period. When I went from doing it for free to charging twenty dollars for twelve weeks, like that was scary. And then when I went to $100 a month, and when I went to $200 a month, $300 a month. And I remember I went from $300 to $400. And I was like, I don't know if anyone's going to do this. And they did it. And it felt a little bit weird, but I was like, people were signing on for $400. And then I was like, I'm going to try $500. And there are people who signed on for $500. And I did that for about two months. And I was like, I don't like this. And I immediately dropped it back down to three hundred. I, I skipped four hundred, right back down to three hundred, just because I was like, this is where I feel comfortable. Like I crossed the line, I tested it out. It didn't feel better. Like when I got to three hundred, I was like, okay, this feels good. Like this makes sense. Three hundred for the amount of time I'm spending, for the amount of knowledge they're getting, that makes sense. By the time I got to five hundred, I was like, I don't like how this feels anymore. It feels like this is this is too much. And so I brought it back down. And this is, I think, a concept that a lot of coaches, a lot of coaches, like, how, how do I know how much to charge? Well, just try, try different, try different things. If no one is signing up for it, then you're not worth that much, right? So if, if you're trying to charge $200 a month and no one is signing up for it, then you're not worth it yet. I mean, do better, improve, become a better coach, help more people, put out more content. Um, if everyone is signing up for it, then, and you're super busy and like you have a waiting list and you're slammed, then odds are you can increase your prices. But you also not just, don't just pay attention to buyer behavior, also pay attention to your behavior and your feelings. And if it feels bad or wrong, listen to that. Don't necessarily take like what someone else or a mastermind guru, whatever is saying, you should be charging 10 times more than that because it's not their business. It's your business. And your business will function based on how you're feeling and how you're doing it. If you're feeling like a scam artist and if you're feeling like a fraud and if you're feeling like like you're doing something wrong, then listen to that and, and taper it back. Who cares if you're charging $200 less than someone else? If it feels better for you, then stick with that. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, do you have any estimate what, because everything you just mentioned, and I've charged $350 a month for coaching pretty consistently for probably five years at this point. Um, everything in that range, 
right? 50 when just getting started, 100 a month, 150 a month. Up, up to 400 a month is, is where I went, but 350 is where I settled. All of those numbers seem reasonable. Like mm-hmm. that seems like a like a like a fair exchange. Yep, the service that's being provided, it it feel it feels like it makes sense. When you go to thousands per month, I, I can't wrap my head around, you know, other than really good sales, like one, why someone is signing up for that, and and two, how the value exchange is even remotely close. And and maybe and maybe I'm misunderstanding too because there's a good chance like maybe the coaching that's being offered is very different. Maybe an hour Skype call every single day is being offered. Maybe there's in person coaching tied into it. Like you know, I guess there are ways that that, that could make sense, right? Like yeah, Gary paid us both <laughs> a lot of money, but we coached him every single day and traveled Travel around the, the world, world, yeah, to, to coach him and and we're on you know. call seven days a week. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know much about the programming. I know their general idea is coach fewer people for more money each. I think that's a huge mistake. Number like for many reasons, not least of which being like what we've been talking about. It's like, how much do you really think your services are worth? It's like, especially like if you're interacting with them via email, number one, if you, if you have to do an hour Skype call with someone for their fitness every week, it's like not like if you're Skyping in and you're Skyping in for their workouts and you're watching every workout, sure, go for it mm-hmm. for an hour long workout, five days a week. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But if you're interacting via email, you're sending them their programs, like, do you really think it's worth thousands of dollars to like interact via email? And then if you're having like an hour long Skype call once a week, just to talk to them, it's like, is your coaching that good? If you have to have an, like, what are you talking with them for an hour a week on Skype about? It's like, they should, there shouldn't, that shouldn't be necessary to speak to someone for an hour a week about their fitness. Interesting. You can give them all they need. Like, I don't, I don't think that's necessary at all. I think you're going to be overdoing it. You're going to be causing issues. Like it's something, this has been something I've been interested, like noticing the differences between like fitness and jujitsu. In jujitsu, you could spend th- three months on one move and all of the different, um, uh, all the different responses and and retaliations to a single move, all the different options for move, move what your opponent would do, what you could do back to them, like on the ground, standing up, like what if they do this, what if they go that direction? Like there's a million, you could have it in months and months and months on a single move, which is one of the things that makes it such a difficult sport. Fitness isn't like that. It, it should be very simple. Like it should be very, 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 very simple. And if you're having an hour long Skype call with your client every single week for months on end, there's probably something wrong with your syst- your coaching system. Or maybe it's out of your scope to be working with that person. They need to help like uh, with someone else who is more of a specialist. Mm. So yeah, I, I just don't think I've, I don't I've think never, charging I've thousands never heard, of dollars is- I've never heard that perspective. I like that though. It ties in with the marshmallow test, right? Like yeah. excess, excessive focus on the thing creates subpar results within the thing. Mm. You want it. You want it to become intertwined with your life, and and for it to flow as a part of your life, not to become your life. The whole purpose of good coaching is to let fitness be a part of it, be a part of your life, not your whole life. And if you're taking up 
four hours a month of just talking to the, the person on Skype, never mind them doing their actual program and preparing their foods. It's like, you're doing it wrong. And let's call this 99% of clients. Let's call this people who want fitness to be a part of their life, mm-hmm. right? Like if someone's training for the Olympia and they want fitness to be their life. Of course, yeah. We're talking about something different. Oh, and by the way, that brings up a good point. Maybe you're a physique prep coach and you're spending like 30 minutes a week or more looking at someone's posing, right? And you're looking at their posing videos and you're analyzing their videos and then you're like explaining to them, okay, well, you want to change this, you want to change that. And then you're meeting them in person or you're traveling across the country to go to their show. Yeah. This now makes sense for a higher ticket coaching, if you want to call it that. But for the vast majority of people, for the general population, you're improving their health and fitness, their mindset around food. It's just like, is it really worth thousands a month? Like personally, I don't think so, but who am I? Number two, moving up from ethics and integrity, the second piece of the pyramid is specific knowledge. Um, and, and this is kind of a two-parter. So specific knowledge and practical application. You want to start off with this one? Uh, I mean, knowing it, specific knowledge is is pretty all-encompassing, right? It, like training programming falls under there. Um nutrition sciences fall under there. Uh, basically, any of the, the technical side, you know, performing proper form on an exercise, um, anything technical falls under that window, whereas under practical application is taking that knowledge and actually using it usually in the form of in-person coaching, using it with clients. Um and yeah, there, we, we had good reason, we had good debate about whether this should be most important because obviously it's incredibly important, but you know, we have it here for, for the reasons we discussed earlier. Yeah. I mean, basically when I was talking to Mike, I was like, should this be number one? Cause I was like, as much as it pains me to say it, even someone with bad ethics and morals, as long as their, their knowledge is good, they could still help someone. And that is the truth. Like you might have someone with poor ethics and morals still way overcharging and way overpriced, but still helping people. And it's like, yeah, it's better than them not doing anything at all. But it it comes down to the cumulative effect of their decisions. And the reality is like, if you're working with someone and they're just not making the right decisions for you because their decisions are, are poor ethics and poor morals, then it's just, it's not going to turn out well in the back end. So that's why we ordered it in this way. Um, in terms of um, specific knowledge, we've spoken about this before, but I think the best place to get that, like, and this is actually going to also, it sort of like crosses both barriers, like it goes in specific knowledge and also practical application, getting an internship. Like mm-hmm. internships, I think are the best of both worlds because you get the practical knowledge, like you learn from whoever you're working for, and you also have the opportunity to coach people in person. Um, do we want to talk about like some some resources, like either books or websites or whatever, like to really acquire high level specific knowledge, uh, whether it's around nutrition, strength training, client psychology, any of that, like just to so people, if they don't know where to go, because this is, I've, I've spoken to so many generally newer coach, even coaches like who might have a decent Instagram following. I'm like, what are your favorite fitness books? Like, or what are your favorite books on strength training, nutrition? They're like, 
I don't, I don't know. I've never read any. It's like they get all their knowledge from Instagram. It's just like, listen, it's great that Instagram has become such a great resource, but if you really want to understand the science and go deeper into knowledge, you have to open up a fucking book. Yeah. For for nutrition, Lyle McDonald's website, bodyrecomposition.com, was and still is my number one, just based on the the breadth and depth of unbelievably high quality nutrition information. His books are are wonderful, but that's like if you get through every article, then then buy a book. Yeah. Or even, you know, buy a book to support. But um, you know, his protein book, his his ketogenic diet book, like he has a lot of great books. Um if you ever if you ever want to know literally everything you could ever know about protein, <laughs> Lyle McDonald's protein book is actually I remember reading it and just being so intrigued by it and so enthralled by how in depth he went on on protein. If you, I, that's a great book. But start with everything on his website first. Yeah, and there's there's something interesting about like, you know, you can read you can read a caption about protein quality, right, and feel like you have a decent understanding of you know, whatever they hit on there, amino acids, essential amino acids, biological value, like, but if you read, not even, I'm not even gonna say the book, but if you read a full article about protein, like you have a, a much more comprehensive understanding than what can be consumed within a single post caption video. Yeah, exactly. So he, he's my number one for nutrition. Yeah, I'd say Lyle and Alan Aragon are, are both like, high end for nutrition. I, I've subscribed to Alan Aragon's research review since I think it was 2012 or 2013 that I joined. It's $10 a month. Um, the reason, aside from all the great information that I would highly recommend to Alan's research review is because what he does is he takes all of all of the research, all the most either old research, current research, whatever it is, and he'll break down the study for you. And he'll say, he'll link the study and he'll go over the study and he'll explain the pros of the study, the cons of the study, the flaws, the strengths of the studies, all this stuff. And that's really where I learned how to read and scrutinize a study's validity. I mean, keep in mind, part of, part of my college education was learning this. Part of like the courses I took in college were how to read and scrutinize research papers and, and, uh, and studies. And I never, I actually aced those courses solely because I was part of Alan's research review. But I learned way more from Alan's research review than I did from those courses. And so if you really want to understand how to read and understand a study, the best way I can possibly imagine is through Alan's research review. Just go in it. It's $10 a month and you have access to every single research review he's ever made. And by the way, like, we get zero benefit from any of this. We don't get paid for this. This is just a true shout to Alan for everything he's done for the industry and, and all of his knowledge. But um, if you really want to understand how to read and understand and scrutinize a study based on the study and its merit alone, not from whoever linked you to the study, then I'd say this is the single best resource in the world. Yeah. Martin Burkhan's website, leangains.com, more free information that, you know, it's, I don't actually know if he's like, we talked about uh, what's the point of an email list because back in the day, if there was a website we liked, we just went to it every day yep. and lean gains was 
that one of the the very top websites for both of us for oh, <laughs> is yeah. there a new article is there a new every article every day every day i would check and i remember the day that fuck aditis came out do you remember that article <laughs> oh yeah absolutely i remember going on my computer in my room and oh a new article fuck aditis and i vividly <laughs> remember yeah man that he, he was he still is phenomenal but that was such an era what an era that was in the fitness industry yeah um and and i don't know how much new content has been going on his site but there's still so much evergreen gold there uh examine.com for for supplement information um they're my go-to uh for uh you know like exercise selection anatomy um xrx if you just google xrx anatomy it'll take you to the part of of that site that has just an incredibly comprehensive database of, you know, muscles and how those muscles move. That that website is amazing. It's yeah. EXRX, XRX. Mm-hmm. And I vividly remember, because I, I remember when I interned with Eric Cressy, he was he was like, you have to sign up for more gross anatomy courses in your in college, which I did. And it was amazing. But that website was actually how I prepared for all of my exams. Because it's, and I think it's gotten even better since then, where like, if you, if you don't understand kinesiology, like, or, or physiology, if you don't understand different, like if you, if you don't understand the shoulder joint, knee joint, if you don't understand like any of the joints or the muscles, the connections, the tendons, the ligaments, how the movements work, this website is phenomenal and it's a hundred percent free and it's really it does a wonderful wonderful job of breaking everything down so that you can start to understand like i think this is one of the biggest mistakes coaches make is they just they just program exercises based on oftentimes what muscle they think it's working right so which is exercises shouldn't only be programmed based on the muscle it's working Right. There, there are many reasons to program an exercise. And, and the unfortunate thing here is a lot of the times they think an exercise is working a muscle and it's not even working that muscle to begin with. So like if you really want to understand which movements work individual muscles, this is a great website, but also you'll start to understand, okay, so if you have a client who might have pain in this spot, you know, like, okay, cool. Maybe you'll do this exercise because it will work this muscle, but you know, you actually can't do that exercise because it might exacerbate an issue in this, in this area. So for, I mean, off the top of my head, like if someone has a a hip flexor issue, maybe they have a hip flexor strain and you're going to give them reverse crunches because like you love reverse crunches and and they're a great ab exercise. It actually might not be a good idea because you know, reverse crunches are going to place a lot of stress on the hip flexor. You could talk about leg raises in the same way. So instead of doing a leg raise or a reverse crunch, maybe you'd end up doing more of like a pull-off press or a side plank, or maybe not even a side, side plank could exacerbate that issue as well. Maybe instead you'll do um, just like a regular plank or any number of exercises as opposed to something that could stress the hip flexor muscle. This is something that is vastly overlooked in pr- programming and, and the art of period of programming and program design in terms of it's not just based on the muscle it's working it's all this is this is really the essence of individualization right where it's like this is why you can't give everyone the same program it's like i think i think it's fair to say that probably 90 percent of your programs will look very similar but it's the 10 percent of differences that make it that that's what they're paying you for the accountability 
And then also when they need that individualization, whether it's for either an injury or because they're traveling and they won't have access to certain equipment, whatever it is, like you have to know movements, not just based on the muscles they're working, but based on the individual and what they have available to them. Absolutely. What other resources? So I have a bunch of books for strength and conditioning if you want. So actually one uh, by Mel Siff, uh, which is one of my favorites is Facts and Fallacies of Fitness. It's an old book. It's an old book, but it's really, really, really good. And I think if nothing else, it will give you a lot of great ideas for content, Mm. like just different, you know, facts and fallacies and myths and whatnot about fitness that are sort of like the godfather of strength and conditioning, Mel Siff. Um, So definitely recommend that. If you want a a pretty scientific view into the world of strength and conditioning and motor unit recruitment and and muscle fiber growth and sort of how the muscles work in response to different types of strength training, the science and practice of strength training by by, uh, Vladimir Zatsiorsky is phenomenal. A really, really great book. Um, If you want a book for learning about programming and periodization on a long-term level, especially for athletes. Uh, Periodization training for sports by Tudor Bampa is incredible. I will say 98% of the people listening to this don't need it. It's like, that's if you really are super interested in, in, in high level athletic development, especially like maybe peaking an athlete for the Olympics or something like that. Um, the Special Strength Training Manual for Coaches by Yuri Verkashansky is a tremendous book, especially for like a, a lot of accessory exercises and movements and, and how to program accessory work for, for athletes. And I, I guess I should preface a lot of this by saying most of the books and knowledge I have around um, strength training is based around performance, getting people stronger, faster, more explosive, moving better. If you want to prep someone for bodybuilding, these are not the books. Science and Practice of Strength Training would still be a good one, but the, like, these are not the books from a bodybuilding physique enhancement perspective. Um, I would say Starting Strength and Practical Programming by Mark Ripito are two mm. really good books as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you read all those books, like you'll have more knowledge than 99% of coaches. Yeah, great list. Uh, a, f- a few others that are just kind of top of mind, and I'm in Minnesota. I don't have my bookshelf in front of me, unfortunately. Um, Strength Training Anatomy, uh, Arnold's Encyclopedia, which mm. is, you know, a, a <laughs> good, overall good. And, and you know, it's Arnold's. And uh, I don't know if that's it. I think Arnold's Bodybuilding Encyclopedia. I don't remember the exact title on that one. Um, and, uh, and, Supple Leopard by by Kelly Starrett has a lot of of good stuff in there as well, you know, related to movement and mobility. So there's there's a few more. Um, Eric Cressy's website, I think he's been writing on it since the early 2000s, 2005, 2000, maybe 2004. Uh, if you want somewhere with like just free articles for years and years and years and years of incredible information, Eric Cressy is is invaluable. Absolutely. Practical application, I don't even know how hard we need to hit this side of the pyramid simply because it's it's something that we've preached endlessly throughout all 29 episodes or wherever we are at this point, which is 
in-person coaching experience, uh, which is going to get you a, a, a diverse population of ages, body types, you know, different issues, different goals. Um, yeah, there's a reason why it's, it's stacked this important in the pyramid is because getting in-person coaching is going to make you a better and better coach the more you do it. Yeah. And we've, we've said this so much. And so we won't, we won't hammer this home ad nauseum again, but I was just having this conversation with a young woman who I was doing a podcast with. She was, she was 22, did a podcast with her yesterday. And, um, basically she was like, you know, I want to coach people, but I don't know where to start. And I was like, have you ever coached anybody in person? And she said, no. And, and she was like, I want to start an online coaching business. And she had never coached anybody in person. And I think that's, to you, Mike, and to me, I think it's it's odd because it's just so it's such a different world than when we got into the industry. Mm-hmm. It was like when we got into the industry, that was the only way to coach people. Like it, it was like Instagram wasn't a thing. It was like I remember when online coaching started to happen, and a lot of the coaches that I looked up to, who had been coaching for ten, twenty, thirty years at that point, were like, "This will never work." Like, and, and they, it was, they took it too far. They were like, online coaching will never work. I've coached people for 20, 30 years. Like you need to be in person with them. And, and now they're, they're starting to get into the online world, but they have such a head start because they had already coached people for so long in person that their knowledge base allows them to crush it online. Whereas people who are just trying to get into online without any in-person coaching. It's like, even, even if you don't need to coach people in person, let's say like you're set financially, let's just say you're you're in a a wonderfully blessed situation in which you're set, you don't need money and you could just spend all your time online. You're handicapping yourself if you're not coaching people in person. Mm -hmm. It's like, it is, if you love being a coach and you really truly want to help people and be the best coach that you can be, coaching people in person. It's, it's the first, I, the two things I said, I said, coach people in person and get a website. Mm. I said nothing about Instagram, nothing about Facebook or TikTok. I was like, coach people in person and get a website. It's the first two things that you should do. And she was like, wow, thank you so much. Like she was like, I thought that it was weird that I never coached people in person, but I was sort of just going to keep going with it. I was like, coach people in person. Like you have to, Yeah, that's where, like, that's, that's where, it's funny, like a lot of the jujitsu, I could take everything to jujitsu now. A lot of the jujitsu community makes fun of like jujitsu DVDs. And like, I think the jujitsu community now is where the fitness industry was in 2012, hmm. where like when online coaching started to become a thing and the fitness community was like, this will never work. The jujitsu community now is like laughing at online DVDs and products and, and coaching for jujitsu. They're like, this is never going to work. And I think in, in, in a large part, they're right, mainly just because with jujitsu, you need a partner. Like you need to go against someone. There has to be someone else against you for you to really like get the full benefit of it. But it doesn't mean that you can't still benefit from learning techniques online or watching DVDs. And, um, you know, I, I see that in terms of, I don't even know where I was going. I've completely lost my train of thought. The biggest brain fart ever. Jujitsu 2012 fitness. Fitness. Yeah. Basically online versus in person. Yeah. I basically, that online will work, but you're going to get a, your online will work better if you're better in person. If you, if you have that in-person experience, like it's just going to be so much more beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. Right. 
I think we're going to wrap this one here because I don't want to rush through our last three parts of the pyramid and we're, uh, we're over an hour here already. Okay. Yeah. So we'll do part two next time. Beautiful. Thank you everyone for listening. This was very fun. Excited for part two. Have a good day.